Has anybody in here ever been a runner? Ever been on a run or a jog or anything ever in your whole life? Even if, you know, you ran to the fridge, you, you ran somewhere. <clears throat> well, I followed this guy on Instagram a while back, <clears throat> and I came across him because he was a pastor, and he was training for this race that I'd never heard of at the time, but I uh, have come to look into it quite a bit. Not that I'm ever going to do it. Uh, that is something I don't aspire to at all. But it's called the World Marathon Challenge. Has anybody ever heard of the World Marathon Challenge? A couple of you? Well, the World Marathon Challenge is seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. You start in, you start in Antarctica. You're down there for a couple of days trying to get accustomed to the cold. That's where you start. Uh, and 24 hours before the race, <clears throat> they go out and they clear, I guess, the glacier. Uh, and then you run the marathon there, and then they fly you to South America, where you run. And then you go to North America, Europe, Africa, Asia, and you finish in Australia. Uh, and some of the races, I mean, I know that first one, you go Antarctica to South America. When you finish the, the Antarctica race... The South America race is only like nine hours later. So somehow you've got to recover from the Antarctica race to get ready for the South America race. And looking at some of these guys and following that guy I did and, and seeing how he prepared and trained, and uh, I was doing some research the other day, uh, the people who run this race first are nuts, but uh, beyond that, the training varies wildly. Some of the people who've run this race will run, I mean, they're consistent runners already, they've run several marathons, uh, and during a course of a week, uh, they'll average 10 to 15 miles a day, sometimes spurting up to 25, just, just trying to get ready for the marathon, uh, and then they'll try to cycle off as, you know, 10 weeks before the marathon, so their body's, you know, got enough energy to try to, try to sustain that. Uh, but one of the guys who had some of the fastest times on the first few, and then the slowest time on the last one, uh, he mixed it in, his preparation, with some running training and then some weight training. Um, and it worked for him because what he would do is, is during the World Marathon Challenge is he would run the marathon and then they would fly to the next spot uh, and he would immediately, as, as quick as he could after the, the marathon he just run, ran, try to work out, exercise to, to keep the blood flowing and not let his body just kind of seize up as it was wont to do. Um, and, you know, those first few, you can, get, you can kind of power through, but you get to North America, it's a little more difficult. Once you hit Europe, uh, all of them will say your calves become rocks. Um, a lot of it stems from the variety of terrain that you're running on, from very unhewn ground in Antarctica to asphalt to concrete to the hills to sometimes running on the beach, that it, 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 their bodies just aren't prepared for it. They, I mean, even if they train consistently, where they train consistently in preparation is nothing like running in Antarctica. It's nothing like running in Europe. It's all different, all varied, and it's just crazy what they put their bodies through. But what's consistent throughout this is the only way you can go the distance in this seven marathons and seven days on seven continents. Do you, anybody want to do this race? Anybody? Anybody? 
if you're, you're of a different breed, if you want to pull this off. I mean, there was one guy said uh, when he finished the Australia one, he finished it. Uh, he said he holds the record in the World Marathon Challenge uh, for having the widest time disparity. That one of his, I think it was his Antarctica race, was one of the fastest that anybody ran. And his Australia race was the slowest that anybody ran. Um, but he, he put his shoes down on the finish line in Australia and said, I'm never running a marathon ever again. That's, that's it for me. Uh, but what's consistent around this is that any racer in the World Marathon Challenge who's going to go the distance, who's going to make it all seven continents, the only way they can make it, even when their body's starting to shut down, even when uh, one guy, his hip, was causing him great pain uh, in addition to his calves, and he had to stop in the middle of one race, and they brought out a masseuse to try to massage his, his legs enough to get him through the deal. But the only way they can make it through is they have to do two things. Number one, they have to have help. They have to have people along the way who will run with them for a little bit, little bit or friends that will fly to a different spot and, and maybe ride the bike while they run just to have encouragement as they're trying to make it through this, this, this arduous challenge of seven marathons in seven days. Um, to have somebody there to encourage them, to build them up, to help get them through the race itself. And the second thing they have to do if they're going to make it, you know, they, what I read, all of them say this, is they have to keep their eyes on the prize. They have to constantly be thinking of the end goal. Because if their mind goes to where it wants to and it's focused on the pain, it's focused on their calves, it's focused on their hip, it's focused on their back, it's focused on the, the, the pain in their arms or just pumping their arms, it's focused on, oh, i got to do this again tomorrow. If, if they're focused on the pain and they're focused on the difficulty, then they're not going to make it then their mind is going to be consumed with the pain and they're going to quit halfway through, three-quarters of the way through. Or maybe in Sydney on the last race, they're going to quit, even though they're so close. If they don't have help and they don't keep their eyes on the prize, on the end goal, they're going to fail. And we see this not just in racing, not just in running, but in the spiritual life as well. That we will stumble and fall and have great difficulty and compound the struggles if we don't have help and we don't keep our eyes on the prize. We've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Today, we're going to finish it up. And I don't know if you've been here every Sunday we've been through this. This is the 10th sermon in Hebrews chapter 11 um, that we're in. And the author of Hebrews has been walking us through what faith looks like. Uh, great faith, great moments of faith in the lives of some uh, people throughout history. Um, even though these people that are, that are talked about are by no means perfect. And if you would look at the rest of their lives, you would see massive character flaws. But even in, in and among massive character flaws, they still have moments of great faith. And to me, that is great encouragement, uh, that extremely flawed people can have extreme faith in certain moments. And I am extremely glad as well that my life is not written down in Scripture and all of my flaws there for the centuries to observe and critique. But we see these people walking with faith and God doing much through them. And now we get to the end of chapter 11 and, and, and the author of Hebrews kind of gives a glimpse, an overview of some stuff that 
doesn't uh, fit, not that there's not enough room, I mean, maybe, you know, if he would have had, or, or, you know, whoever wrote this would have had infinite amount of time to write, they could have written, written more, but this is what comes in verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11. It's on page 1008, if you're using a Bible on the pew rack uh, there in front of you, and if you don't have a Bible, please take that Bible home, that's why they're there, for everyone to have a Bible. But look at verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11. The author writes, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So there's a, you know, some names thrown out really quick. Several judges. I mean, Gideon, right? Gideon was called by God. He was hiding. He was scared. He was fearful. God shows up, calls him massively courageous. And Gideon goes up to, to throw off the throws of the opponents of the people of God. And uh, he calls out the men to war. 32,000 men show up to fight an army of over 100,000. And God says, you have too many men to fight this battle. And so 22,000 leave and Gideon's left with 10,000. And God says to Gideon, you still have too many for me to do what I want to do. Have you ever, I mean... We often don't think that process. We often think, I don't have enough for God to do something great in my life. But God says to Gideon, you have too much for me to do something great. And so God sends home a bunch more and whittles it down to where Gideon now only has 300 people to fight off this army of more than 100,000. And God finally says, okay, now you're at a place where I can use you. Whittles it down to where he's usable. And they go and they defeat this army. So Gideon has great faith, leads the people in great faith. And who's the next guy? Barak. Barak was one of the judges as well. Uh, he uh, worked with, or I mean, what's fascinating is, is when you read the book of Judges, we don't see a whole lot of faith in this guy. We actually see a lot of fear in him, a lot of questioning in him. And he goes and, and gets somebody else to lead because he's so scared. But even in that, to go and find somebody else and fight, a, and it's Deborah, it's a woman, to lead the army. He goes still in faith and says, I can't do this, I need help. And they go and they fight. Then you've got Samson. He was a very, very flawed man. Anger problems, uh, problems with lust, and uh, uh, problems with pride, extreme problems with pride. And yet still had moments of phenomenal faith and saw God do great things. Sacrificing his own life in service to the Lord. Jephthah, another one. You got David, you got Samuel, you got the prophets. David, very flawed in adultery, in murder, and still, though, repented and turned to the Lord. Samuel, uh, last judge, he was a prophet as well, followed the Lord and uh, uh, anointed two kings in his lifetime. And then you have a myriad of prophets. I mean, it just mentions them, the prophets. There you see some of the stuff they did. Verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, that's Daniel, quenched the power of, fi uh, quenched the power of fire, that's you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the fiery furnace, being protected, coming out of the fire, having walked with what we believe was Jesus, not even smelling like smoke being in the fire. Uh, they escaped the edge of the sword. Now, we believe that's a reference to Elijah, Elisha, and Jeremiah. Uh, they escaped the edge of the sword, that, that God protected them when there was a price on their heads by some of the most powerful men in the world at the time. God protected them. 
Uh, they escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Uh, that's the, the mother from Zarephath, 1 Kings chapter 17, and the mother from Shunem in 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, their children uh, had died, and God brought them back in great faith. The women had great faith to see this happen. Some of these people were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. Jeremiah was one of the prophets who was stoned. They were sawn in two. Tradition tells us Isaiah, that's how he died. He was sawn in two with a blunt sword. I mean, not sword, saw. It even said, uh, there were some of these guys that were sawn in two, some say with wooden saws. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins and of sheep and goats, like Elijah, John the Baptist, they were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, and then this great line, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Do you know anybody in the course of your life who has had such great faith that you could say that of them? The world was not worthy of the faith they demonstrated. Uh, verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Speaking of these Old Testament uh, people, what was promised is Jesus and, and uh, the coming of uh, salvation. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They were looking forward to salvation, just like we look back to salvation. So we're going to go into the first next couple verses of chapter 12 because that last verse in chapter 11 doesn't finish the story. Doesn't finish what he's talking about. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Talking about all these people who've come before. We're surrounded, their, their, their legacy of faith, their uh, a race of faith, their uh, demonstration of faith has now been handed to us. And we're supposed to run, we're supposed to lay aside every weight. Now even though weight can help strengthen an athlete, weight can help grow uh, an athlete's strength. When the race comes, though, they take the weight off. Yeah, have you ever been to a baseball game and you see the batter warming up and they've got the weight on the end of their bat, you know, trying to, you know, strengthen? They, they don't walk out to the plate with the weight still on the end of the bat. I mean, they would look pretty silly. They take the thing off and then they go up there uh, and hit. You know, weight can help you grow stronger. It's the idea of, of a tree in the midst of a storm. You think the tree wants to be in the storm? But the blowing of the storm makes the roots go deeper, strengthens the tree because it grows stronger. And so here we have the weight. He says, take off the weight. It's time to run. Take off the sin that clings so closely that can 
do you great damage. So you can run your, way, run your race. You can be prepared to run your race. And so now, the idea that, that, that the author's, the picture the author's painting for us is, it's now our turn to run. All these people we've read about in chapter 11, they've already run their race. They've been through their race. They demonstrated faith in moments, and now it's as though the baton's been handed to us, and it's our turn to run. He says, so run the race. Take off the weight, cast off the sin that clings so closely, and run the race. Run it, what, what does he say? With endurance, the race that's been set before you. The idea is the race has been set before you. It's not a race you designed. It's a race you've been given to run. But it's a race of endurance. It's not a race for speed. You know, it's not like a 100-meter a, a race. It's, uh, it's a long-distance race. It's like the World Marathon Challenge. It is, it is a, a, a race that cannot be quickly conquered. It, it takes time. And there's hills and valleys, and there are storms you got to run through. If it storms, you still got to run your race. So, so run with endurance, the race that's set before you. Endurance takes patience and focus and strength and consistency. Endurance takes purpose. You can't run with endurance on accident. You have to run with, with purpose in your life. And Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. He says, I run with purpose in every step. I run with purpose in every step. I run with purpose. So you have to run with purpose, casting off the weight and running the race that God has set before you. Now, Jonathan, you come help me a sec? Jonathan has been a runner in his life. Uh, daughter following his footsteps, going, come on up. She's going to be a runner on in college. Now, if you run, now it's been a long time since I've been a runner. You've been a runner sooner than I have. Um, do you, when you run, or when you ran, uh, did you put on as many clothes as you possibly could? No, not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, did, did you um, uh, put, like, put on a backpack and, and, and carry weights in your hand and maybe bring a book to read on the journey? Of course not. No. Uh, you tried to run with, with any, any of that stuff, right? Because if you did, here, come over here. I got some props here. Let's say... Let's say to run, you wouldn't put on like, like an ankle weight, no. right? You wouldn't put that on because that would, especially you wouldn't just put one on. I mean, how, how would that be if you just had an ankle weight on one ankle? It'd be a little lopsided. Or what, what if you, you, you know, cared about, let's say all of this represents different things in your life, so... An ankle weight represents something you've been carrying around for a little while. There, we've got um, some things here. Maybe these, these big old books, they represent worry about your kids. Maybe you need more books. <laughs> Maybe you're worried a little bit about something biblical, something uh, to do with, with God and something that's in your life. So we've got a, a theology book. Yeah. Maybe there's something you've been carrying around for a while that from your childhood or, or something that was damaging in the past. And so it's been building and building and building within you. And so you gotta carry around something else. 35 pounds kettlebells. It's, but that's not all. I mean, you know, 
Some stuff comes up sometimes in the midst of our day now. It's a worry at, at work or, or somebody will say something or it's a political landscape, a, a financial worry that comes up now. And so you've got your kids and you've got stuff with God that you're worried about. And this just comes up and piles on top of that. And now scripture says, run your race with endurance. <laughs> you're not going to get very far. And so what does that say? Hey, Alyssa, put that verse back up there. I hope you got a picture of Jonathan, Alyssa. Okay, good. Uh, you got to run with endurance. So he says, lay aside every weight. So you got to take it off. You got to lay it aside. And it's easier to lay it aside when you've got some help. And you lay it aside, you get it off of you. You cast all your cares on him. And you lay them down. Because only then will you be able to run with perseverance. As he says, the race that is set before you. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a spring in his step now. <laughs> and so to endure and to go the distance, we have to remove every weight. We've got to set it aside. And we've got to take the, the clingy sin and get it off of us. We have to remove anything from our lives that doesn't help us run our race. Remove anything that doesn't help us run our race. That's a hard thing to think about. Because that verse I mentioned a minute ago from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when Paul said, I run with purpose in every step. This is what this is talking about. To run with purpose in every step, then anything that would prevent you from running your race with endurance, you've got to strip off and you've got to get out. To the extreme sometimes if it's possible. I've mentioned the story before. There's a preacher, his name is uh, Francis Chan. Um, back, he's, he's, uh, when he was a pastor in California, he, uh, being in California, he liked to watch the Lakers on TV. And he was watching the game uh, one night. Uh, he tells this story in one of his books, and he said, my daughter came in and asked me to come read her story and tuck her in. And I said, just a second, I'll, I'll do it at halftime. It's almost halftime, I'll do it right then. And uh, she walked out of the room, and then as he's sitting there watching the game, uh, to get to halftime, a realization comes over, a memory of seeing her walk out in the corner of his eye, kind of dejected, like shoulders dropped, like walking out of the room. He said, I turned the TV off, I immediately went in there, we read a story, I apologized. And I laid there until she fell asleep. He said, the next morning I got up extra early. And as soon as 8 a.m. hit, I called the cable company and canceled my cable. He said, as much as I love the Lakers, and he did. If it was getting in the way of me being a dad, I don't need it that much. And it's that idea I have to remove anything that doesn't help me run my race. Anything. If that means deleting some social media apps off my phone, yes. If I can't resist it, that means getting a different kind of phone. They still make flip phones. I don't know if you've seen them. They still make them. They're there. You got to go down that aisle at Walmart. They're still there. If that means changing up your viewing habits, if that means changing up your streaming habits, if that means changing up your friends, because maybe the friends you've got right now, it's all gossip all the time. Remove anything that doesn't help you run your race. That's Paul's concept in, in writing that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
And we see that in Paul's life. He was going to run with purpose in every step, whatever God set before him. Because too many people are dying and going to hell. And eternity is too important to be weighted down when we're supposed to run with endurance. When we were designed to run with endurance. Remove anything that doesn't help you run your race. But that's not all. Look at verse 2 of chapter 12. So he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus. Now this is phenomenal. I mean, we're supposed to run with endurance by looking to Jesus is the way it's written. Run with endurance by looking to Jesus. So we're supposed to look to Jesus, though, and not all of these people who, who, who he talks about in Hebrews 11. And we can look at their lives, and we can look at their faith, and, and they're commended for their faith, and living out their faith, but, our, but who we're supposed to imitate is Jesus. Imitate Jesus. Look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He lived it out. He is the fulfillment of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him, the joy of salvation, the joy of eternity with us, who for that joy, what did he do? He endured the cross. So looking for a life of endurance, a race of endurance, there's no one else to look at but Jesus. He endured it. And, and he didn't just endure it because he knew about it day of. He came to the earth knowing this was coming. He came here with this anticipation for three decades the moment of torture on the cross was coming. Have you ever tried to even just walk around for a week with something hanging over your head, something dreaded? And, and the anxiety and the loss of sleep and, and the difficulty. Imagine doing it for 32 years, knowing it's coming. Not just bearing the weight of the execution, but the weight of sin in that moment when he died. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, looking to Jesus. Imitate Jesus. We can only run with endurance when we look to Jesus. When we look to Jesus. That word in the original language, look, Looking to Jesus, it means fix your attention on. Take your attention off of other stuff and put it on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Fix your attention on Jesus. Because your, in, uh, your attention will either lengthen or lessen your endurance. Your attention will either lengthen or lessen your endurance. Just like running a race. If you put your attention on your pains and your struggle and the difficulty and the hill you got to climb, you're not going to make it. It's going to lessen your endurance. But if you keep your eyes on the end goal, it's going to lengthen your endurance, your attention. Where you put your attention will either lengthen your endurance or lessen your endurance. So keep your attention on the Savior. That's the only way to go the distance is to keep your attention on Jesus and not the struggle, and not the pain, and not the difficulty. It's still there, and it still hurts, and it's still hard, and it's still difficult. But if your attention is on Jesus, he can bring us through it. He can bring us through it. 
every single time. Look to Jesus. Endure by looking to Jesus. And you know, Jesus, what we see in his own life, you know, what did Jesus do when he began his public ministry, when he began to go out and be around people? He gathered around him some people to go with him. He didn't go out by himself. And he was Jesus. He got some guys to go with him. He chose out 12. There were a whole bunch of others who went along uh, with him. Jesus doesn't expect us to run our race alone. He doesn't expect us to go it alone. And if you ever watch a race of some distance, uh, runners always do better when they get up right behind the lead runner. You ever notice that? You watch a race, they're, they're running. You watch the Olympics, you know, uh, a year ago. The, they, those runners will get up right behind the guy in front of them because it's called, they're doing what's called drafting where the guy in front is taking the brunt of the headwind so that, you know, it, it's causing a little, you know, something funky with the headwind so that the guy right behind him has a little bit easier way to run. That doesn't mean he's not running on the same road. He's running on the same road. But if he's right up behind that guy in front of him, the guy in front of him is taking the brunt. He's, it's harder for him than the guy behind. And so the closer that second runner is to the lead runner, the easier he's going to have in the journey. He's still got to run it. He's still got to go. But it's going to be a little bit easier for him. And if you ever watch a race where they're running and it's like a, a, a team of runners from each different country, they do this in bike races more than... Uh, foot races, but they do, still do it in foot races some, is the team of runners will get in a line of like four runners, and they'll swap off whoever's in the front, whoever's taking the brunt of the run, the headwind, and they'll swap off so that everybody else in the line has it just a little bit easier, and they'll, they'll, they'll take turns. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, the lead runner in our spiritual life is Jesus. And so the closer you run to Jesus, the easier it's going to be for you. To go the distance, you've got to run close to Jesus. To go the distance, you've got to run close to Jesus. You've got to get right up on him. You've got to keep moving forward. And, and as time goes on, you're going to slip, and you're going to start to get away from him. You're going to start to run a little bit slower because the journey is hard, and the journey is difficult, and, and your legs are tired, and your calves are seizing up, and you're carrying all kinds of weights as you're running this race, stuff that you've been holding on to for years and stuff that's been tacked onto you by somebody else, and it's weighing you down. But we've got to cast it off and get right up on that lead runner because he's taking the brunt of the force and he's trying to make it easier for us. Not easy, but easier. What does Jesus say? Take my yoke upon you. Take my burden on you and learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls. Run to Jesus the only way you can go the distance. That's the only way you can find endurance. The endurance we're commanded. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. You can only do it by running to Jesus. And so now these people in, in chapter 11, there in the previous page, these people in chapter 11, they were great. I mean, their faith was phenomenal. But now it's our turn. Now it's your turn. Mordecai said to Esther, for such a time as this, 
Maybe you've been put here for such a time as this. You have. We know it. God's got a purpose for your life. If he didn't, you wouldn't be here. He's got a purpose for you. And the purpose for you is to go the distance. The purpose for you is to run with endurance. The purpose for you is to run that race that's been set before you and run it with everything you've got. Leave nothing on the field. Run it with endurance. Cast aside all the weight that the enemy tries to pile on you and run with everything you have. Your life is not a walk, it's a run, and you run it with endurance, you run it with purpose, and you go the distance by looking to Jesus. And so by examining your life, where is your attention? Are you removing anything that prevents you from running your race? Are you running your race at all? Or allowing everything else to bog you down? Are you running close to Jesus? What would it take in your life to run close to Jesus. I mean, close to Jesus. Not like you can see him a little bit off in the distance. I, I can kind of see where he's at, so I know where I'm going. But like running right up on him, close to Jesus. What would it take? What adjustments would you have to make in your life to run close to Jesus? It's an investment. I mean, these runners training for the World Marathon Challenge, they say, okay, we got to eat right. That means changing everything about my life. That means i got to sleep right, because if I don't get enough sleep, I'm not going to have enough energy. I'm not going to be able to do it. i got, I got to exercise right. And spiritually speaking, we got to be prepared for what's coming. You can't do it alone. You need help. You, you, you need Jesus, and you got to run right up close to him and keep your eyes on the prize and what's coming. And so you got to run close to Jesus, and sometimes that means we got to rearrange a couple things. It's what's more important in our lives. That's what it boils down to. And we see in the lives, just as an example, these people in chapter 11, the moments that are mentioned here that they're commended for of having great faith, phenomenal faith, stepping out in faith and doing great uh, uh, activities of faith. But they still stumbled and they still fell and they still had their issues, as we all do. But... When it comes to us and us being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and running our race, if you were to be asked the question, are you running with endurance right now, what would your answer be? I'm running in spurts. I'm doing a lot of walking. Run every once in a while. Not really. I run here and there, run to grab my Bible on the way out the door to church. i got to find it first. I'm not sure where it's at. What would it look like if your life was one of running with endurance? So that when you step into heaven, you hear the words that, that, that are mentioned in Scripture, well done, good and faithful servant. Like cheering at the end of the race, you made it. It's, it, it brings to mind the imagery, of, have you ever seen Chariots of Fire? The Academy Award-winning movie about a runner. He's, he's a missionary. Uh, I'm sure you've heard the music. Da, 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 da. Anyway, you got to go watch Chariots of Fire. But there's this one race. His name's Eric Little, where he's one of the fastest runners, but in this race he's running, he trips, and he falls. Uh, and he actually gets tangled up. Another runner tangles him up, and he falls. And the, the other runners, I mean, they take off. I mean, they're way out in front. It's this great moment in the movie. And then Eric gets up and runs. He doesn't just catch the group. He passes the group. But the moment he crosses the finish line, he collapses because he ran with everything he had 
and cross the finish line with everything he had having been given. How would that be if we don't get to heaven on a whimper, but we come blowing in there because we're running with such gusto? That's the idea. Run with endurance the race that's set before you. Maybe today you need to look to Jesus for the first time, and you need to start running your race. You need to start it. Starting guns going off, and you need to make a decision today to follow Jesus. Stop following the other stuff. Stop following the world. Stop following what your friends are saying. Stop following what addiction is telling you to follow. Stop following what, uh, what the world wants you to be and conform to, and start being who Jesus designed you to be, and that begins by believing in Jesus. And so the beginning question, the first question, is will you believe in Jesus today? Believe that he is the son of God, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Will you believe that today? Will you run to Jesus today? You can do it figuratively or literally. Here in just a second, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, you come running, come running. Act like you're not Baptist. Come running. And let's see what God can do with a life of people who are running close to him. Run to Jesus today.